going to be talking about how do we stand out? How do we stand out in the right ways at the right time for the right reason? Because when we do stand out in the right time for the right ways, in the right way, we can make an incredible difference. And it can change the course and direction of our lives. The flip side is just as true. When we compromise on the wrong things at the wrong time, in the wrong ways, it can end up costing us dearly. So over the next few weeks, we are going to be looking at how do we take a stand for that which matters most. Today we're talking about standing out. Next week, we're going to look at how do we stand up for what is right. And we're going to see Daniel stand up to the king who had the power to take his life. Daniel stands up to that king and tells him to stop sinning and to do what's right. And it's a fascinating story of how we stand up for that which is true. In week three, we're going to talk about standing for what matters most. The king says you can't pray for a certain amount of time. And Daniel realizes this is something he is committed to doing. So he continues to pray and stands for what is right. In week four, we're going to look at how do we stand in faith and in prayer. And finally, in week five, we're going to talk about standing firm in the fire. And there's opposition We look at the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How do we stand firm when there are those who oppose us? Today, though, we're going to be talking about standing out from Daniel 1. And before we jump into Daniel 1, just let me give you a little bit of the context or the backstory. King Nebuchadnezzar was the king at this time, he was an evil king who had destroyed Jerusalem. He was so evil, he didn't just destroy the city, but he burned the temple. And then to add insult to injury, he went into their temple and basically took all their religious symbols and crushed them, destroyed them, as if to say the worship of your God, Yahweh, is obsolete. I'm taking out, I'm removing anything that reminds you of him, And that enables you to worship the one who you say is the one true God. Not only did he destroy the city, the temple, and all their religious symbols. He said essentially, I'm also going to destroy your present and your future. He said to his leaders, go find the brightest and the sharpest Young men, the sons of royalty and nobles, I basically want you to kidnap them. Bring them to me. I am going to indoctrinate them in the Babylonian culture and train them for three years. They're going to be future leaders in my government. So not only am I destroying Jerusalem and your present, I am also committed to destroying your future by removing your best leaders and training and equipping them to serve in my government, in my kingdom. 
Let's pick up in verses 3 and 5. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. In other words, go and find those who are most likely to succeed and bring them to me. They are the ones I want. It then goes on to say he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. In other words, I want them to speak like we speak. I want them to think like we think. Verse 5. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. This was a very intentional and strategic plan to indoctrinate these young men into the Babylonian culture. In other words, the king wanted them to think like Babylonians thought, to act like Babylonians behaved, and to believe what Babylonians believed. It doesn't quite have the same ring, but he wanted them to walk like a Babylonian. This, I believe, mirrors much of the strategy of our spiritual enemy, the Prince of Darkness. Those who are followers of Christ, he wants them to think like he thinks, to behave like he behaves, to respond like he responds. In fact, Satan wants everyone on planet Earth to disregard the Word of God and submit and surrender to his ways, the systems of darkness, the ways of the world. And we find ourselves in a full-on spiritual attack. If you are a follower of Christ, you are under attack. Satan is the prince of lies. And he does his best to deceive and to lure people away from God's best. Isn't that true? And this is why Paul said in Ephesians 6, 11 to 13, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand and stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand." Here's a thought. If it's a spiritual battle that we are engaged in, why are people more eager to attend rallies than prayer meetings? The spiritual battle is won 
on our knees. As we will see, there are times where we need to take a stand. Not just in the prayer room. But my question is, how much time has been spent in the prayer room before we stand, before we rally? If you are never standing out and you're always blending in, then are we truly committed to following Jesus? Because to follow Jesus is to walk a very different path, a path that will inevitably lead us to standing out. The word holy means to be set apart. Be holy as I am holy, God says. And there are times when we have to stand out when we're following Jesus. And that's what we see happening in the life of Daniel and his three friends. Now, it's no coincidence that the Lord just dropped this idea into my mind about the significance and the importance of prayer. Yes, Daniel took a firm stand. But what we're also going to see is that Daniel was a man of prayer, committed to praying. Prayer humbles us. Prayer connects us to God. It puts us in touch with his heart so that when we do speak, we can speak his words. And the words of God always come from a place of love and grace. God is a just God. But his scripture tells us for those who are not following him, he is slow to anger, abounding in love. Oh, that this would be the posture of the church today. Let's keep moving and look at verses 6 and 7 as the story goes on. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names, to Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now, why did the chief official change their names. Well, first, let's, again, get a little bit of context. How old were these boys? We don't know for sure, but most biblical scholars would say somewhere between the ages of 12 and 15. Remember, the king wanted to train them for three years. So if they were 15, that makes them 18, a prime age for leading in the government. Young impressionable boys. This is what we're talking about here. We're talking about high school students, young boys who have been stripped of everything. They've been removed from Judah and taken to Babylon. Do you know how far that is? Uh, For us here in Australia, that's as far as Melbourne to Brisbane. (laughs) And they didn't have planes or trains or automobiles. That's a long way. All of their religious symbols have been crushed and demolished. So these young impressionable boys find themselves in a foreign land under a foreign uh, culture, a foreign religion. 
They're now being extracted from their families to go in to serve and train under the king. And now their names are being stripped away from them. All dignity is lost. Why were their names changed? Interestingly, and we don't particularly get this in our day and age, but back then, names were often given to remind somebody of who they were, of what their life was supposed to count for. And all kind of Hebrew, Old Testament names, all speak of Yahweh's nature, character in one way or another. And so your name very much became associated with being a person who worshipped, who served, who followed Yahweh. So the names that these boys had reminded them every time their name was spoken, son, we serve Yahweh, you serve Yahweh. Well, the king gave them names that pointed to the worship of the Babylonian gods. He is seeking to strip and remove every reference point in their lives of what it means to follow Yahweh. Next, their diet is going to change. We read in verse 5, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. In other words, you're supposed to eat the food that has been prepared for the king. Now, when I read that, I think, well, that doesn't sound too bad at all, does it? Eat like a king for a 12 or a 15-year-old boy? I mean, our boys are 10, 5, and, and, and 2. And we're already talking about how we're going to finance the amount of food that you know, these boys are going to eat. So to eat like a king for a young boy. These are young boys saying no to the king's food. Why? Because the food that would be served for the king and his servants is food that has been sacrificed to pagan idols, to pagan gods. And they knew that to eat, to partake in that food, would be dishonouring to their God, to their Yahweh. Even though they've been taken some 1,600 kilometres away, stripped from their family, stripped from the temple, stripped of their name, look at where their hearts are. Their hearts are still for Yahweh. Wow. 12 to 15-year-old boys. Never too young to take a stand for the Lord, Jaden Bridgeland. <laughs> Never too young. Now, we don't see them f- kicking up a big fuss. They simply ask respectfully, could we try a different diet? Could we not eat the royal food? Now, verse 8 is probably the key of what we're talking about this morning. Verse 8 says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. What did Daniel do here? Daniel made a predetermined resolution. A predetermined resolution. Before the temptation was even there, before the food was put in front of him, 
He made a predetermined decision to remove that temptation, not to partake in the king's food. He predecided. And that's why he was successful. You see, had he not predecided, he could so easily have compromised and rationalized something that really wasn't right. How good are we at justifying and rationalizing things? We do it all the time. I do it all the time. Just this once. I've got to eat anyway. Well, this is what I have been served. Mum told me not to be rude. I've got to eat what's put in front of me. Daniel knew that he would be placed in a compromising situation. He made a predetermined decision. This is incredibly important. He resolved in his heart ahead of time how he would respond. Before he was faced with temptation, he'd made a choice. As followers of Christ, our success in so many different spiritual avenues will be determined by what we decide ahead of time. Now, this will have different application for each one of us, depending on our particular life stage and set of circumstances. But if you open your heart and ask God to show you, the Holy Spirit will reveal to you the areas in your life where you need to predetermine what your response will be. There are some things that you and I need to predetermine in our heart. We need to decide that no matter what happens in the future, this is how I will stand. I will do this, or perhaps I won't do this. And we make this decision because we predecide to honor God in this way. Now, as I reflect on this principle, it is so true in so many aspects of life. We are talking about a spiritual thing here, but it's got all kinds of implications in the practical sense as well. You know, I know for me, if I don't pre-decide that I want to go for a run or a, a, a cycle in the morning, if I don't lay out my gear, if I don't set my alarm, it's not going to happen. It's as simple as that. I don't just wake up. I mean, maybe one day I will. I would love that day to come. But let me tell you, with three young children and you've got to get them to school and so forth, you've got to pre-decide. There are all kinds of areas in our lives where we see the wisdom in pre-deciding. I think about Bronnie. And uh, whenever she makes a meal plan at the start of the week and one of us shops for those ingredients, it sets us up for success. It's just a simple thing. If you don't do that every day, we're driving home from work, having to go into Coles. What are we going to have for dinner tonight? The wisdom of pre-deciding. Before Bron and I were married, many in this room would be the same. 
we made a decision. We pre-decided not to have sex until we were married. It was a tough choice. But we didn't leave that decision until we were in the back seat of a car. God, what do I do now in this situation? (laughs) The wisdom of predetermining what our actions will be because we want to honour God. If our desire is to honour God, what areas of our life are we open to compromise in? And it's different for all of us. What are the decisions that we need to take? For Daniel, in his context, in his situation, it was about the food that was going to be served to him. Now let me just say that wherever you find yourself, that message, that song is just ringing in my ear, come as you are. Okay, so it doesn't matter where you are or what you've done. God has you here this morning hearing this message now. So forget the past. Think about the future. Where are the areas that you need to predetermine how you're going to honour God in the future? How will you stand out? Perhaps you find yourself in an ungodly workplace where the conversation and language is not honouring to God. And you often find yourself getting caught up in that, as it would be so easy to do. Don't feel bad. Don't feel judged. That's not what God wants. But how will you pre-decide? Do you want to be different? Do you want to stand out? Do you want to be a person of light? Do you want to be different? You've got to make a decision ahead of time. Don't leave it to the last minute, because we're human. (laughs) It's so true, isn't it? Perhaps you struggle with the temptation to view pornography. How will you predetermine this? How will you predetermine how you're going to respond in that moment? There are all kinds of situations in our lives where if we don't predecide, if we don't predetermine, we are opening ourselves wide up to compromise. What is it in your world? that you struggle with? What is it that you need God's help with? What must you decide ahead of time? What must you resolve in your heart that you will or won't do? Because honouring God is a high priority for you. Every now and again, because of what we have predecided or predetermined in our hearts, we will stand out. And that's what these young boys did. They said, I've predecided, I've predetermined not to eat food that's been offered to idols. One decision, one verse. But that one decision went on to have a big impact because every breakfast and every lunch and every dinner time, they stood out. And the next day, at breakfast, at lunch, at dinner, they stood out. One decision, one verse, they kept standing out. Maybe for you, there's one decision today that the Holy Spirit is impressing upon your heart right now. You know what it is. 
And if you just think to yourself, if I had the courage and the conviction, and if I relied on the Holy Spirit to help me make this predetermined decision, how would that alter things? How would my life change? How would I start looking in that workplace? How would I start looking amongst these friends in this sporting arena? How would I come before God knowing that I'd predetermined to put him first and honour him? Watch the wisdom of Daniel as we continue in 12 and 15. Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. You see, you can stand out for the right things in the right way or you can stand out for the wrong things in the wrong way. We need to ask and seek God's wisdom that he would guide each one of us to know what is worth taking a stand for and what is not. All of us have these opportunities where we can pre-decide and resolve in our hearts what we're going to do, how we're going to be different. After the trial days had passed, we see in verse 19 the outcome. Verse 19, the king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. God gave them supernatural understanding. God gave them the ability to interpret dreams and visions. And they literally redirected the shape of Israel's future because they stood up for what mattered most. Had they compromised, had they not had the courage to stand, nothing historic would have happened. Now, I don't know about you, but I would rather be remembered for what I stood for than forgotten for blending in. I'd rather be remembered for what I stood for than forgotten for blending in with everyone else. If we are always blending in, how are we to show the world that we are the disciples of Christ when it is by his love that we are to be known? We must examine our hearts and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the areas in our lives that we need to make a stand. We don't stand to make a statement because God has called us to be different. If the byproduct of standing is a statement, well, so be it. We stand because we want to stand against the devil's schemes. We're going to put on the full armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, and the belt of truth. Our shoes are prepared with the gospel of readiness of peace. And we're going to take our stand against the enemy's attacks. And when we've done everything else, we will stand. Why? Because Jesus stood and died for us. And he's called us not to be conformed to the patterns of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Then we'll be able to test and approve what his will is, his good and perfect and pleasing will. Amen. Join me in prayer.
God, lead us to live in such a way that our lives would bring you glory. God, if it means being different and criticized or mocked, so be it. Lord, we want to do what you call us to do, to be different in ways that honor you, to be transformed by your presence, empowered by your spirit, so that we may live lives that bring glory to your name. We thank you for your presence, Lord, and we thank you for this Old Testament story that can enable us to live victoriously in you as we predetermine ways in which we will go about living for you and honouring you. In the quietness of this moment now, I invite you to offer this prayer up just between you and the Lord. Lord God, is there any area in my life that I need to resolve, predetermine, predecide to do something always or to never do something because God, I belong to you. I ask that you would grant me the wisdom to know when and the courage to stand out in the right ways at the right time. And I ask God that in doing this, I would not be drawing attention to myself, but seeking to honour you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.